0: Oh, good morning, church. It's good to see you here. Thank you for coming to worship today. I am simultaneously blessed and terrified to be addressing you this morning. It is a blessing to be entrusted with this responsibility But sometimes it requires more vulnerability and humility than a preacher wants to give. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. That's where our message is coming from today. I've been reading through 2 Corinthians and trying to listen and say, Lord, what do you have for us? And I'm gonna be covering several scriptures uh, from 2 Corinthians today. But I want you to know one of my humble mistakes that I made. I changed the version of the scriptures yesterday. I was reading through a different version, and I really liked what it had to say. And so I changed some of those scriptures in my notes, but the tech guys didn't have time to make those changes this morning. So when I get to some of those scriptures, they're going to read a little bit differently than what you um, might see, and you can just kind of chalk it up to well, that's Pastor Mike. So, okay. Any rate, I've been reading in Second Corinthians. Um, Paul wrote it, as I said, at a at a very vulnerable time in his life. More so than any other letter, Second Corinthians is riddled with personal comments as Paul reve- revealed details about the persecution he had suffered for Christ's sake, about challenges to his apostleship, um, his burden for the church, uh, his burden for the poor among the church in Jerusalem, and a mysterious thorn in the flesh that kept him reliant on God. I actually decided to speak from 2 Corinthians about a month ago when we were wrapping up the new officer training for Eastminster, what you've heard both Ken and um, uh, John uh, uh, talk about this morning. Um, Tom, sorry, Tom, wherever you are, I just called you John. But um, it was during that training that many of the new officers Uh, officer candidates, they're not officially officers yet. We're gonna be voting on them next Sunday. But many of them expressed that they were feeling the weight of that responsibility, of what it meant to be a deacon and an elder at the church. And I think most, if not all of them, were wondering if they were up to the task. Well, the weight that they were feeling is actually a good thing. It keeps a person humble, it drives us to our knees, it causes us to pursue not just answers from God, but to pursue God himself. But even in that burden, even in that humility, sometimes a person's thinking can get twisted. I wanna share a story with you about how an entire church's thinking got twisted. Several years ago in Mount Vernon, Texas, a newspaper headline read Texas Beer Joint Sues Church. Drummond's Bar began construction to expand their building and increase business. In response to the beer joint's attempt to expand, a local church started a campaign to block the bar from expanding and signed petitions and prayers. But work progressed right up to the week before the grand reopening of the bar when lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. Well, some of the church folks were kind of smug about this, you know, bragging about the power of prayer until the bar owner sued the church on the grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of his building, either through direct or indirect actions or means. In its reply to the court, the church vehemently denied all responsibility or any connection to the bar's demise. The judge read through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's reply, and at the opening hearing, he said this, I don't know how I'm gonna rule on this yet, but it appears from the paperwork that we now have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church that does not. (laughs) If you love God and you want to influence others for him, That is a marvelous thing. But even in that, we have to be careful about our thinking that it not become twisted. There's a couple of things that can happen in our thinking. One is that we may become overconfident in our own abilities, to think that accomplishing anything in and through the kingdom of God is up to me, it's up to you, it's up to our skills, our talents, our training. And to be sure, preparation in any field of work and study has benefit and proves valuable. In fact, preparation and planning um, is encouraged so many times in the scripture that I think we would have to say it presents it not as just wise, but as necessary. But to become overconfident in your own ability to accomplish God's will, whether as a student, a parent, in your business or career, as a volunteer, serving, teaching, uh, ruling in the church, that's the court disaster. Disaster. The other mistake is to have doubts to the point that they paralyze you, to lack such faith that you never take action, you never step up. You completely doubt that you can accomplish the task that has been entrusted to you. Both of these, overconfidence and doubt, are actually a form of arrogance. Both of them, are a way of saying, it's all up to me. It's twisted thinking. What qualifies any Christ follower to do anything that brings glory to God is that the glory of tr- Christ dwells within those who have surrendered to him. That is what qualifies you. That's what people are attracted to. Christ in you. Now I'm going to read through several scriptures here from 2nd Corinthians. Some of them you'll see on the screen. Some of them you won't. Some of them will be a different version than I gave the tech guys to put on the screen. So just bear with me. But I want to show that thread that runs from early in 2nd Corinthians all the way to the last chapter. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. This is Paul and his companions writing to the church at Corinth. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. From 2 Corinthians chapter two, God also helps us spread the knowledge about Christ everywhere. And this knowledge is like the smell of perfume. In fact, God thinks of us as a perfume that brings Christ to everyone. For people who are being saved, this perfume has a sweet smell and leads them to a better life. But for people who are lost, it has a bad smell and leads them to a horrible death. No one really has what it takes to do this work. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, we are sure about all this, Christ makes us sure in the very presence of God. We don't have the right to claim that we have done anything on our own. God gives us what it takes to do. God gives us what it takes to do. He makes us worthy to be servants of his new agreement that comes from the Holy Spirit and not from a written law. And then we jump ahead toward the end of the chapter and we read in chapter 12 about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Three times I begged the Lord to make this suffering go away. But he replied, my gift of undeserved grace is all you need. My power is strongest when you are weak. So if Christ keeps giving me his power, I will gladly brag about how weak I am. Yes, I am glad to be weak or insulted or mistreated or to have troubles and sufferings if it is for Christ. Because when I am weak, I am strong. And then in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, although he was Paul speaking about Jesus, Although he was weak when he was nailed to the cross, he now lives by the power of God. We are weak, just as Christ was. But you will see that we will live by the power of God, just as Christ does. And my favorite verses in all of 2 Corinthians pertaining to this chapter, which show very strongly this thread, this theme, Not that we're totally incapable, but that we are weak. And it is when God is strong in us that makes a difference. Paul says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. After my wife and I had been working overseas for a couple of years, I was haunted by a question. Am I doing Any good here? I wasn't seeing the results that I thought would be indicative of success. The questions would come to me in wave after wave, usually when I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. They would come in slightly different forms. Am I accomplishing what I thought God sent me here to do? Am I having any influence on these people? Am I getting any real results? am I doing any good here? Well, if you just paid attention to the thread that ran through all of those scriptures, you realize that my thinking was twisted. It wasn't wrong to evaluate the results or the lack of them, but all of my questions indicated that I thought it was up to me. Do you ever ask yourself questions like this? Do you ever get discouraged in any of your roles in life? Whether it be about your relationships, or in your career, in serving at the church, or even in your attempt to witness for Christ? Are you trying so hard because you think that it's all up to you? That's twisted thinking. Paul overcame adversity and discouragement again and again precisely because he was not preoccupied with himself but with the power of Christ and the gospel. The glory of God was manifested in his ministry in the same way it was manifested on the cross of Christ, paradoxically, in self-emptying and in sacrificial service. You know, I sometimes wonder, what was on Paul's mind when he called himself, and by extension, by the preservation of the word of God for all of us, clay pots? The picture of a common clay pot, or an earthen vessel, as it is used in some um, versions of the Bible, implies something fragile, inferior, expendable, Was Paul thinking of the imperfections of his appearance or the weakness of his personality? I mean, after all, later in this letter, he freely admits what some say about him. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. And then a little further on in the letter, he admits that he's not a trained speaker. He is but a jar of clay, an earthen vessel. Maybe he's thinking of the thorn in the flesh he described that I had already shared. What was his thorn in the flesh? We don't know exactly. It doesn't say. Oh, it does say that he received a messenger from Satan to buffet him and to keep him from becoming conceited. Some people say it was his eyesight. Whatever it was, God allowed it so that Paul would not become conceited and put too much emphasis on his own training and abilities. Maybe he has in mind his weakness in the presence of sin. Maybe uh, he may be an apostle, but he also knows himself to be a sinner. In fact, in 1 Timothy, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He confessed to the Roman church the very thing that we all know so well of ourselves. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, but what I hate to do. What I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Shortly thereafter in Romans, he had good news to share about how to get past that. That's another sermon for another day. Whatever it was Paul was thinking when he wrote and called himself and us clay pots, we do well to ponder our own sins, angry thoughts, angry words, unforgiveness, lusts, covetousness, pride, hate, greed, prejudice. Like the Apostle Paul, all of us have to confess our helplessness and weakness in the presence of sin, evil, and temptation. We are but jars of clay, but praise be to God, because of Christ we are redeemed, changed, justified jars of clay. We don't have to be perfect to be used by him. The most Precious treasure on earth. The glory of God in the gospel of Christ is kept in clay pots in sinful, mortal, frail human creatures like us. Could it be that he does that just so people will look not to the container, but to the treasure that's within? You know, in Paul's time, Roman legions, when they brought back the spoils for war into the city, gold, silver, jewels, they would put them in clay pots. They would heap them up in these clay pots and they did this so that people would look not to the container but to the treasure that was within them. Sir Oliver Franks was a British civil servant and philosopher He became a philosopher at a very young age. He had even been the chairman of a major bank in England. He was an accomplished guy. And shortly after World War II, when the Cold War, I'm sorry, when the Cold War was heating up, I thought surely somebody would catch that. When the Cold War was heating up and NATO was started, He was selected to be the British ambassador to the United States, and he served in that capacity from 1948 to 1952. As ambassador, he was frequently, in fact, sometimes daily, with either the president on one side of the Atlantic or the British prime minister on the other side. He was the confidant of two of the most powerful people in the world, and he often needed to get important, top-secret messages back and forth between Washington and London. But it was far too risky in those days to make telephone calls because the phone line was almost certainly tapped, bugged, and the Soviets were listening in. Well, there was a diplomatic bag that went back and forth between Washington and London each day, filled with confidential documents. That was the method that Sir Oliver Franks used for most of his important and confidential messages. But when something was really confidential, utterly top secret, desperately urgent, He wouldn't trust it to a bag that everybody knew was important. Instead, he would put it in an ordinary envelope and send it through the mail. Several times in his letter to the Corinthians, and especially in verse 7 of chapter 4, Paul reveals God's wisdom regarding the gospel and his glory. He doesn't want anyone confusing the content of the envelope with the ordinary envelope itself. It's not the messenger that's important, but the message. Precisely because of the importance of the message, the messenger must be ordinary, even dispensable, like clay pots. Otherwise, the pot might regard itself as important. The earthen vessel might think it is the treasure. You know, I want you to hear me. It's right, it's good, it's important that we plan and we prepare and we train. But those are not the things that primarily equip us. What is primary is the glory of Christ in us. It's a good thing that we are fragile in uh, dispensable vessels. It's part of the deal, part of the calling, uh, living out our own lives, the sufferings of Christ like Paul and countless others who have gone before us, giving their weakness and their insecurities and fragileness to God so that people won't confuse us with what is of ultimate, infinite value. You know, it took me a while But I finally realized overseas that my thinking was twisted. I was asking precisely the wrong question. It wasn't about what I was doing. It was about what Christ was doing. I had been thinking that it depended solely on me. It didn't. It still isn't dependent solely on me it was always has been and forever will be about his glory we are appointed precisely in our ordinariness to the greatest work in the world faithfully showing the treasure of Christ will you pray with me Lord Jesus, when our thinking gets twisted, when we get overconfident in our own abilities, or discouraged by our own doubts and seeming lack of ability, help us to set aside both, both the qualifications that we think makes us competent to serve you, and our own doubt and insecurities to faithfully do what you have put before us in any and every role you give us. Help us, Lord, to faithfully declare the power of Christ crucified and resurrected, his glory in us for your reputation and for the sake of others. And whatever our role, whether it's parent, politician, Preacher, teacher, lawyer, physician, factory worker, whatever our role, may we take courage and comfort in the gospel and the glory of your Son shining through our ordinariness. In Jesus' holy name, amen.